You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. Now before I start my sermon today, in the back there is something that, uh, where looks can be a bit deceiving. It looks like we've got a Christmas tree set up in the back there, but it's not a Christmas tree. Um, not yet, anyway. Right now, it is a, a Jesse tree, and I was wondering if one of the kids could tell me there's one ornament on it right now. If you could take a look at it and tell me what it is. A log. A log. A log. There's a log on there. Why in the world would we put a log on our tree there? Um, it's because it's a stump. And if you look closely at that little ornament, there's, there's a little branch growing out of that stump. And it's because in Isaiah chapter 11, there is not, not the text that I'm preaching from today, but it is a text that is important as we're entering into this. It says, a shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his eyes hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As we enter into this Advent season, it is a time that we remember the one who is the the shoot out of the stump of Jesse. We remember the hope that we have And this picture that is painted for us is actually a great way to to even begin talking about our passage, which comes from Isaiah 64, because it has this sense of hope, this sense of peace, this sense of completion. And by the way, kids, there are um, some, if you want to make your own ornament like that, there are some colored pencils and some sheets out in the front that you can either, with your parents' permission, work on now or later. and make your own set of ornaments, like we're going to be adding to that tree. Every week there will be some more ornaments on there that we are adding to. But uh, I sometimes, as I think about that sense of longing that comes over me as I look to the future, as I look to that, that day when there is truly peace, when there is truly this, this rest where there is the wolf and the lamb lie down together, I... Uh, I 
in this season as we're entering into this, it's, it's easy to see that in the way that kids look forward to Christmas, at least my kids do. And that happens earlier and earlier every year. And I know that there are some of us that feel a, a bit of a push against that. I think it was shortly after Halloween that Amazon sent an actual physical catalog of toys to my house for my, for my kids to flip through. Um, and so they have a, a spot in the back where they can make, in the back of the catalog where they can make a wish list. And, and then eventually, my, my oldest daughter, who's almost eight, can, can write really well. Of course, my, um, my almost four-year-old can't write down her wish list yet. So we decided to just have them circle things. And it wasn't long before pretty much the whole book was circled. <laughs> um, and it reminded me, when I was a kid, there was the Sears Wish Book. Um, and the Sears Wish Book still came, where it was like this gigantic catalog of stuff that would be sent to our house. And we'd do the same thing. We'd pour over it. We'd make dreams about all the fantastic things that we would, we'd want and desire um, and never get any of it. Um, but, you know, as, as parents, one of the things that we do, one of the responsibilities that we have is to make sure that our kids know that preparing for Christmas is not primarily about the gifts that we hope to give or receive. But my kids, and most others that I have met, have one thing very right. They know what it is to dream and desire and have longing. And that is an important part of preparing ourselves to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. Today is the first day of Advent, a season that is supposed to be marked by hopeful expectation. But if we want to experience hope, we first have to let ourselves experience a sense of longing. The prophet Isaiah's longing is laid bare in the first two verses of our Old Testament passage for today. It was read so beautifully. Uh, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire brush kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. The prophet Isaiah's longing for the Lord to act on behalf of Israel is, is laid bare in here, a plea to God. It's, of course, a far more noble desire than the wish for a new toy, but it still is the sense of desire. The two are related to each other, even if, even if they're perhaps distant relatives. There's this sense of, of longing, of hope, of, of wishing for God to come down. And too often, there are, I think there are moments in our Christian walk where we feel like the contentment that we're supposed to have as Christians, sort of the settled peace that we have, means that we are supposed to set aside our desires, put our hopes away, and just sort of be content with whatever lot we've been given. We do give thanks for what we've been given, but the idea of putting aside desire is not a Christian idea at all. It's actually very close to a Buddhist idea, is that we would have detachment, that we would not desire or want anything. God wants us to have desires. He wants us to have good desires. He wants us to desire him, of course, but we are creatures made in the image of God. We are created for eternal life. We are created for fulfilling work. We're created for perfect relationships with other people and perfect relationships with God. But we live in a fallen world where none of these things comes to full fruition, where the longings that God has planted in our hearts that are ultimately supposed to direct us to him often go unfulfilled. So, of course, we long for more. 
And the Advent season is, among other things, an invitation to longing. We can learn to train our desire, not merely on the little pleasures that are afforded to us in life, or even on those fulfilling things that are good for us, but ultimately on the promise of new life in Christ. As we wait for this day of, of hope that comes where Christ, where God is breaking into the world, we look forward to celebrating the incarnation. And all that means, new creation underway, God breaking into our world, the creator of the universe identifying with our lot forever. We could go on and on about what it means to, to contemplate Jesus coming to be with us. And we also look forward to Christ's second advent when he will return and make all things right once again. And as we do so, we will, unless our hearts have been hardened, inevitably feel a sense of longing. I think it's hard to read a passage like that Isaiah passage that that pictures this peace without feeling a sense of, of just desire that there's so much broken, so much that we wish would be set right. But the key there is unless our hearts have been hardened. Unfortunately, it's easy for our hearts to grow hard in this world. Many of us have too often felt the cruel pain of hope unfulfilled. A long-for child who never comes, or a broken relationship that is never mended. Chronic pain that does not end. Work that does not satisfy. A society that just seems broken. It feels like it grows further and further from God every day. Why should we dare to hope again? Because hope, uh, while it's good, also opens us up to hurt. Longing and desire leaves us to longing unfulfilled. Why bother? The prophet Isaiah speaks again. He looks back to the activity of God in his salvation history of his people. He says, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. We dare to hope because of what God has done for us and because of his character, of who he is. The prophet, I think, is probably pointing back to the story of the Exodus, where the Israelites had slaved in Egypt for 400 years and really had felt they had no reason to hope. I mean, their first response when Moses started to act on his own on their behalf is, why are you doing this? What's wrong with you? You're just going to rock the boat. But then God dramatically intervened, freeing them from Pharaoh with mighty acts of power. And yet when they went out into the wilderness, despite the plagues they had just seen, despite the might of God on display as he rescued them out of the hand of Egypt, they had not yet learned to trust him. So as they wandered, their faith floundered. They grumbled and complained. God again and again had to call them to repentance, show them that he would care for them, build in them a sense of trust and dependence. And when they came to Sinai, they met with God. 
the mountains quaked at his presence. They formed a covenant with him, and they received the law. So not only did they see the displays of God's power, they also received a way directly from him to stay in a good relationship with him. They knew what they had to do to be able to, to walk with God. They understood that waiting upon the Lord meant walking in the way that he had set before them. Again, the prophet, in the part we just read, he says, no, no one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. And it says, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. So this waiting that they're talking about, when we talk about waiting for the Lord, is not just this passive activity where we just sort of stop and cease to do anything at all and then hope that God comes and, and, and that's it. We're just going to wait still and, be, and sort of cease acting until he, he comes. Um, instead, they, the idea is that while we're waiting... We're supposed to actively keep covenant. We're supposed to actively live in the righteousness that God has called us to. We're supposed to have this active, patient endurance underneath our circumstances. We're supposed to be committed to joyful obedience while we walk in hope. And the prophet Isaiah is looking at it and saying, okay, this God made this covenant, and we know that if we do these things, if we walk according to the laws that you have set before us, if we walk in the joyful obedience that you have put before us, we know that you will act on our behalf again. Our longings will be fulfilled. Our desires for deliverance will be sustained. Our God himself will come again, and we know it because we've seen it before. We've seen him act on our behalf. But of course, there's a problem. The prophet goes on, Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We've all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. As Isaiah looks out upon the Israelites, he issues this call that if, if they would keep the covenant, if they would walk in joyful obedience, they would see God acting on their behalf. But when they look out, and he looks out among the people, he doesn't see it. Instead, he sees sin. They've turned away from the covenant. They've made themselves unclean. People who are not holy, who are not set apart, who can't expect God to come and act on their behalf. The image that he has there of sin taking hold of them, where it's like a, they're like a leaf, where suddenly, the, the, instead of being able to walk in the ways of the Lord like he talked about, they no longer are able to even move under their own power. Sin itself has, has grasped them and has whisking them around, and now they are, they are subject to whatever life throws at them. They're subject to being pulled around by sin, one direction and then another, not in the way of the Lord, but by sin itself taking them around in one direction to the next. And he says it's been so long. 
We've been doing this for so long now. We've been sinning for so long now. Is there any hope for us to be back where we are right with God, where we can actually wait with hope and joyful expectation that God is going to act on our behalf again? In fact, the sin, it's not even just that they're, that they're twisted around and God isn't hearing their pleas. It has taken such complete hold of them that they don't even want him anymore. Isaiah says, There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. Sin has taken away not only their, not only their hope that God will actually answer, but even their ability to cry out to God for help. I think there are times in all of our lives, even those of us who have been walking with Christ for a long time, where this happens to us. Where sin and brokenness grasps a hold of us, and we no longer even feel the longing for God that we once had. Our desires instead turn to lesser things. Sometimes they point us to things that are just twisted to the point of evil. Our desire for connection turns into lust. Or our desire for pleasure just turns into gluttony. Our desire to, to entertain ourselves just turns into a form of sloth. And with all those sinful desires tossing us about, we find no room in our hearts for longing for God. Or sometimes we've seen the effect that sin has upon us and we've simply decided to stop desiring altogether because even though we know that in this perfect world desires are good, desires point us to God, we know that our own desires too often go astray. They can pull us into dark places and perhaps longing and desire itself becomes too dangerous. Not because it might go unfulfilled, but because it might actually give us what we want, but what we want is no longer good because our hearts are twisted. And it's easier, safer to just stop. If I can't have the right kind of longing, the right kind of desire, maybe I should just have no desire at all. Harden my heart on purpose so that it doesn't take me too far astray. But when we do that, when we make our hearts hard, when we try to stop that sense of longing, we find that our longing for God is lost with it. C.S. Lewis has a quote where he talks about desire, where he says that desire is, the problem is not that our desires are, are too big. The problem is that our desires are too small. That we're like children who are playing with mud pies, having no idea what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. That we're stuck wanting these little things, and sometimes that's what we need to remember, is that we are supposed to inflame our desires for big things, for God himself. And Advent is an invitation to that. And sometimes we have to remember that if we can't feel the longing for God, that we, that we know that we should have in our hearts, that maybe even the longing for the longing for God is itself good. That that itself is something that we can can look to and turn to and say, this itself at least is a step pointing me in the right direction. But we need to open up our hearts to that longing for God in this season, if we're to properly enter into it. But sin gets in the way. 
sin is this barrier to having our proper and good longing, and we have to figure out how are we going to deal with it. The problem is, of course, that we can't just stop sinning. Any more than the leaf that's being blown by the wind could say, okay, I'm done now. You know, put me down. I'm, I'm ready to stop this now. We're caught up in this, and it, it twists us and pulls us and tears us away. Our only real hope, still, is that God will act. Not in response to our righteousness, but out of his mercy. That he will deliver us not only from the brokenness of the world, but from our own sin and give us a sense of that good desire, that longing for him again. And this is the final plea of the prophet in the passage that we read out of Isaiah. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. You are our potter. We are all the work of our hand, the work of your hand. Oftentimes when we think of of God, of that image of the clay and the potter, it's used in a context where it talks about God can do with us whatever he wants. And there's still a sense of that here. But here Isaiah lifts up that image and says, would you cast us away? You're you're the potter. You have made us and formed us. Are you just going to throw us away like a bad lump? Or are you actually going to take the time to form us? Are you going to work on our hearts? Because we can't do it ourselves. He says, Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. This is the only real hope that we have, that God the potter will work our hearts in his hands and deliver us from sin. The eternal judgment will not fall upon us, not because of our righteousness, not because we can walk and, and point to the fact that we have kept covenant, that we have walked in all the ways that God set before us, but because of his mercy. This was our plea in the great litany this morning. Over and over again, we ask God for mercy. We ask God, we plead upon him, we appeal to his character and say, please, we beseech you to help us, good Lord, because we cannot help ourselves. We cannot fix this world. We cannot fix our hearts. We cannot fix our desires on our own. Only he can set our desires right so that we can long for him once again. But again I ask, why should we hope that he'll do this? Where does our confidence come that God is going to to take those who have so far, walked so far from the path that he has set before us, so that that have time and time again, that, that know the sweetness of God and yet still walk away? And this is where we look forward to Christ. Advent is this season where we're preparing, but it's, it's this odd sense of preparing because we're looking back, we know what's coming, and we're confident that it's coming. Christ has come into the earth. And in so doing, God has shined his light into the world. The chalkboard on the back has a verse up there for the season of Advent. Light shines in the darkness, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And this is our hope when we remember the coming of Jesus, is that even though we walk in darkness, even though our very hearts are shrouded in darkness, even though our desires are twisted, we are broken people, the light has come. 
and the darkness has not overcome it. Overcome it. The darkness in your heart cannot overcome the light of Christ. If we look to him, if we walk in faith with him, if we plead to him for mercy, he says, yes, he will be merciful. He came to us while we were still sinners so that we might know the great mercy and love of God. He promised his Holy Spirit as we wait for his second advent to keep us company and to form our hearts and to shape us with like the potter and the clay into people who are ready to listen and ready to walk with him. This is our hope. God has acted on our behalf. We look to Christ and we remember that. And because we know that God has acted on our behalf, because we have that moment where he intervened in history and broke through the darkness, we can wait in hopeful expectation. We can allow our hearts to open up with longing and desire for this to happen in completion. We look to Jesus. And because of Jesus, we enter into Advent with hope because we have something to hope for. That he who came into this world will set it right. That he is coming again. He will set it right. He will set our desires right. He will set our hearts right. And we will walk with him. So this season of Advent, I encourage you. Sit with that sense of longing. Welcome it. Open your heart up to it. This world is broken, but God is redeeming the world through his Son, whom he sent, as we wait for him and wait for the redemption of all things. Amen. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.